0: For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. We're going to focus on verse 11. I'm going to read it again. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. It's not enough for the child of God to not to not only, uh, to only abstain from participating in sinful things and unfruitful works of darkness. The Bible tells us that we are to reprove those things. We are to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness. That word reprove is the same word that's used in John 16 where Jesus said that When I go away, I'm going to sit. The Father will send the Holy Ghost in my name, the Comforter. And when He comes, He will reprove or convince or convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The same word there that that is a work and a ministry of the Holy Spirit. One of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit is to exalt Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak of himself. The Lord said he won't speak of himself, but he'll glorify me. He'll testify of me. He will magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. But another ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict or convince men's hearts that they are sinners, that there's a judgment coming, and that there's a true righteousness that we lack apart from faith in Jesus Christ. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And I'll just read this from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Peter, uh, the last chapter that Paul wrote before he was martyred for the Lord. He said, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. The word reprove actually means to testify, to convince, to tell a fault. With your mouth, to tell a fault. To refute. Okay, to refute. Again, the Holy Spirit this is his ministry, but he lives inside of us, amen, and we are to reprove the works of, uh, of unrighteousness in our day. Christians today, I believe for the most part, this, uh, I talk a lot about the church and the condition of the church as I see it. You know, you look around and you see what's written and what's preached and what's believed and what's portrayed in the name of Jesus, and you go to the Bible, and there's a big difference. Between a lot of, it's not, a, again, not, never do I give just a blanket condemnation to say every single Christian falls in this category. So I'm not doing that this morning either. When I talk about a lot of what's going on or trends within the church or uh, where the church in America is, and that's only the one I, can, only one I can really speak of very clearly, is that I see for the most part that Christians, and I'm going to use this term kind of lightly, okay, Christians, Because not all who claim to know Christ and not all that attend churches and not all that uh, even maybe stand in a pulpit and preach on Sundays, not not all are necessarily born again of the Spirit of God. But what we see today is we see men that want to adhere and Christians that want to adhere to only part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are Christians, again Christians with uh, just in that general term, that want to adhere to only part of the faith which is in Christ Jesus, Christians that want to defend only part of the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And the part they want to hold to or the parts they want to hold to and to speak about are the parts of Christianity, honestly, that they like. There there are certain aspects of Christianity and the Bible and doctrine that people like, and there's other parts they don't like. There are other parts they don't like, they're not comfortable with. And so we see people that in the name of Jesus, holding to their brand of Christianity, what they want to identify with, what they want to obey, what they want to proclaim. And it's only part of this faith that was once delivered to the saints. But we're to defend the faith. We're to contend, earnestly contend for the faith. That's Genesis to Revelation. and This faith that is in Christ Jesus and this gospel and this, the word of God. The whole thing. But we see people that want to just stick with and identify, I'm of this type of Christian. They want to identify with what they feel comfortable with. What they feel comfortable with. Uh, that they feel will not be... They, they want to hold to and then certainly profess and outwardly and publicly only to the parts of the faith... That they think will not be an offense to people, that will not be an offense to people. When Jesus called the Pharisees, for example, he says you're whitewashed sepulchers, and you know you're you're hypocrites and you're. Uh, he went on and on and railed on the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. They could have been saved. They could repent and believe in Jesus, and some did get saved. But he railed on them, and when they got privately Jesus with his disciples they said don't you know they were offended when you said that easy lord don't you know that the, the the pharisees were offended he says leave them alone they're blind guides of the blind and you know if one falls in the pit they're both going to fall into the ditch or or something to that effect but in other words Jesus wasn't concerned about being unoffensive he was holy he was a savior of the world. He, he was the way, the truth, and the life, and he proclaimed it through his life, through his miracles, through his speech, through the words that he says. He said, the words that I speak, their spirit and their life. He loved like no man's ever loved. He spoke like no man's ever spoke. Grace and truth and its fullness came through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for sinners. He died for those Pharisees that he was rebuking. Some did get saved. Hallelujah. But his mission on life was not to go through life and be politically correct. His mission in life was not to say, how can I get elected mayor of Jerusalem? His mission in life was to die for the sins of the world, to be holy all the way. Having loved his own, he loved them till the end. He was was who he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to be all the way to the end. But we see people that want to only identify with the parts of Christianity that they feel will not offend people. And to proclaim what they feel will not offend people, you go around and tell people that God is love. Nobody has a problem with that. An atheist doesn't have a problem with that. They might roll their eyes and laugh at you, but they don't have a real problem with you thinking that God is love. But when you begin to reprove the sin, the world of and the unfruitful works of darkness that are going on around, like Jesus did, and like uh, men and women of God have done, you find yourself at odds with men. But we find people that want to hold to this brand of Christianity, Christianity that's unoffensive. Unoffensive to a lost world that doesn't know the Lord. Unoffensive and that doesn't set them apart. Me as a Christian I don't want to be too ostracized. I don't want to be too set apart from this lost world that's around me. And the way it functions and the way it, it does business and so forth. And we see that people are wanting to have the the best of both worlds, so to speak. They're wanting the type of Christianity that will give them uh, forgiveness of sins and heaven when that day comes. But I want all the best of this world that has to offer me right now. And that is not a biblical Christianity. That is a man-made invention or it's a doctrine of devils or both. But they don't want to live as we're called to live as believers. There are many in In the church, whether they're saved or not, only them and the Lord know, there are many that call themselves Christians that do not want to live as strangers and pilgrims on this earth. They want to be popular in this earth. They want to be unoffensive to men. And so they choose to adopt a Christianity brand or type of Christianity that's unoffensive to men. But you know, we are clearly called to live as strangers and pilgrims. There's at least two verses I know that that say that. And I know that I've talked to you about this, and you know this, but we are, as believers, strangers and pilgrims where? On this earth. We won't be strangers and pilgrims in heaven. We won't be strangers and pilgrims in the New Jerusalem where we'll spend eternity. But we're strangers and pilgrims here in this temporary, temporal life. And a stranger means an alien. It means I'm not from here. I'm not from here. Wow, I'm born from above. I'm born of the Spirit of God. My origin is not here. I'm not of the world any longer. So I'm a stranger, and so are you in that sense, if you've given your life to Christ. We're also pilgrims, and pilgrim means we're temporary. We're not here permanently. So we are both. We're aliens, and we're not here for long. This is not everybody else. They're setting up shop. They're building their kingdoms here. They think this is permanent. They think this is where they're going to live forever, and they're not. They're not, okay? But we realize we're not, amen? We're strangers, and we're pilgrims as believers. Jesus said that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. That's what the Bible says. That's what Jesus said, and that's how we're we're to go out. That means there are going to be many people that reject this gospel, and they're going to reject Christ, and they are going to be damned. And they need to know that so they can repent while they have time to repent and believe. And so much of modern-day Christianity has been, I believe, led astray and been tricked. They've been sold a lie, and many have believed a lie that Jesus came only to make men happier, just to make men happier. You're depressed. You're, you're down. You're an only child. You're an orphan. Your parents left you. Your spouse left you. You you're, you're have all these problems in life. You're poor. You were abused as a child. Jesus came to save everyone and, and to be a father to the fatherless. But what they're told is that he just wants to take you and make everything better. Just, just take your life and make it better. I use the example all the time. If you're a football player, you're a running back, he wants you to have your best season ever and to break the records as a running back. You understand what I'm saying? It's almost this thought like he just wants to to supercharge your life and make it better. He's not going to ask anything of you. He's not going to require anything of you. Uh, And that is not what is preached in the Bible. Does Jesus make your life better? Absolutely absolutely that's not even what this sermon's about he absolutely makes our life better amen but I think people have been sold a lie in the name of Jesus cherry-picking certain scriptures that you want to present to people that Jesus wants to just give you your best life now just give you your best life now but the Bible says that he came to save sinners The Bible says that he came to save sinners out of their sinful, sin-filled lives and to give them new life in Christ. The Bible says, and Jesus said, I've come to destroy the works of the devil. He came to call out to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. The church means called out ones. If you wonder what's the definition of the word church, it means called out ones, that we have been called out. So we're not just in the world to make my life better and keep floating merrily along this life and just be super successful at everything. He came to save us. And I say it all the time. The Lord saved me from my sin, but he didn't leave me in my sin. He saved me from it. He saved me from it and put my feet on a rock and has given me a new life. And that life is to be one that's Christ-like. And we read it to open with... In verse 8, for you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. If you're really born again, you're in the light and you're of the light, and we're children of the light, and we're to walk that way. In reality, what the Lord came to do was give himself for sinful men, and we would give in turn give our lives to him and be forgiven and cleansed. But the rest of our days and all through eternity, we would be in Christ. Amen? Literally crucified with the Lord. I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Let's read verse 3 through 6. Romans 6, 3 through 6. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? I wonder how many Christians know that. Not as a theory. Not as a scripture in Romans, but as this applies to me. This is me. If I'm in Christ, I have been baptized into his death. Paul said, don't you know this? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death... We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. The death comes first. Remember our whole study we did on Wednesday nights on the cross. The cross and its work in the life of the believer. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. And so Jesus came and not only forgave us of our sins, but he... He delivered us from the power of sin, and he has called us and and made us to where we're dead to sin and dead to ourselves, dead to sin and dead to ourselves. Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he came, was not accepted on this earth. You have to just, we have to be real. We have to understand his great love, Jesus, when he walked on this earth, there were times he was very popular. When was that when he 's healing all the multitudes, and there you know there 's no room to get to him because there's so many people pressed around, and he would patiently heal every one of them, everyone when he 's preaching gracious words, and people say "This is wonderful um, He was very popular. there was a time they wanted to take him and make him king. their king right there it wasn 't too many lay days later they're wanting to crucify him and they're crying out for his crucifixion okay and so he was not accepted the bible says he came unto his own his own received him not he was despised and rejected of men this is what the bible says and this is the reality of it he was not accepted in the world he was cruelly crucified on a wooden cross and what what lies have been perpetrated, I would say, in the name of Christianity, in the name of Christ, in the name of the Bible, have, what lies have been told and believed that make us think that we're going to be praised and loved and accepted by all? What, what, have, what lie have we been told to make us think that as I truly follow Christ, endeavor to follow the Lord? None of us are perfect, okay? but I, we're saved and we're seeking to serve God. And as I genuinely seek to serve the Lord and follow after my Savior biblically, what, what makes me think that I'm going to be accepted and, and praised and loved by this lost world that put Jesus on the cross? As we live for God, as we proclaim His truth among men and the lost world that doesn't know Him, what makes us think that we can have Again, the best of Christ. I want all the best. I want to cherry-pick all the blessings of God. I want peace. Certainly I want peace. I want deliverance from sin. I want heaven in the end, okay? I want the blessings of God on my finances. I want all that. But I don't want any of the, the reproach that comes for knowing Jesus. I don't want to be unpopular I don't want men to ridicule me. I don't want men to mock me. I don't want any of the persecution that comes. The Bible says, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a Bible verse. That's the scripture. That's what it says. And we're trying to think, where can I, you know, I want all the best of this and I want none of that. I want all the best that, the things that I like from Christianity and I want everything that the best that the world has to offer too. And it doesn't work that way. Read your, we need to read our Bibles, amen? We need to read our Bibles. It does not work that way. And we want to have our best lives now. We want everything that the Lord has, and we want everything that the world has. Jesus said, you shall be hated. He told his disciples, you, you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake but he that endures to the end shall be saved. I want to quote this. You probably, if any of you have heard uh, the revival hymn, which is a clips of different uh, ministers from days gone by, kind of compiled into this wonderful little uh, 30 or 35-minute uh, ministry you know, presentation. But I was listening to it again recently, and Leonard Ravenhill says, How is it? That the world couldn't not, couldn't get along with the holiest man that ever lived, but it can get along fine with you and me. I'm going to read it again. I know it's a simple thought, but how is it that the world couldn't get along with the holiest man that ever lived? That's Jesus. But it can get along just fine with you and me. He goes on to say, why in God's name do you expect to be accepted everywhere? Have we no spiritual stature? Have we no righteousness that reflects on their corruption? There has to be. There has to be. There has to be. If we're really saved, there has to be in us. And I'm using this and just understand how I mean it. There has to be enough of Christ in, in us. Enough of the Holy Spirit, enough of his nature, enough of the fruit of Christ, enough of his life, enough of the light who who is light, enough of the salt, enough holiness in us that it reproves and rebukes the sin and darkness around us. It has to be. This is why he was despised and rejected. He wasn't despised and rejected because he healed people. He wasn't despised and rejected because he multiplied fish and loaves and fed hungry people. He wasn't despised because he walked on water. He wasn't truthful because he cleansed ten lepers. He, under, he wasn't despised by nice words that he said and truthful things. He was despised and rejected because he was holy and he came to die for the sins of the world. And this sin-filled world rejected him and said, so we don't want this man to rule over us. We don't want him. Why? What has he done wrong? Well, they they couldn't even come up with any genuine accusation. They were just false accusations about the Lord. We just just give us Barabbas instead and crucify him. Our life in Christ is to be different. It's to be different different from the, the lost world around us that doesn't know the Lord. And it's to be different from the life we used to live before we knew Jesus. Amen? It's to be different, but it's not to be different just to be different. I talk about this all the time. You could dye your hair a, a funny color. You could dress strangely. You could go live like a hermit. You could. There's all kinds of weird things that we could do in life that would make us different. That's not the difference that we're called to live. We're to be different in the same way that Jesus was different among lost men among whom he walked and lived. Jesus said... And in, in he's about to be crucified in John 17. He's with his disciples. He's praying to his father. And he says, Lord, I've, Father, I've given them, his disciples, I've given them thy word. And the world ha- hath hated them. Because they are not of the world. How? Even as I am not of the world. Two verses later, he says, They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. It's the same, not of the world. Not just strange, not just peculiar. We've met a lot of peculiar people, okay? And we have probably been peculiar at times. But that's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about as he is not. of The same peculiarity about Jesus was his holiness, was his sinlessness, was his love, was his mercy, was his uh, complete devotion to the will of his Father on this earth, his humility, In this sense, he was different. Jesus said, you are from beneath, I am from above. That's the difference. You are from beneath, just of this world, I am from above. And that's the difference that we're supposed to have from this world of darkness around us. And there has to be enough of that life of Christ in us that's lived privately and publicly that without us trying, so to speak, it brings a reproof on sin and sinners around us. But a lot of people don't want to bring rebuke and reproof on sin around them because it makes them, as quote the Christian, feel judgmental or uh, like, oh, people are going to think I'm better than them. And that's not at all what the Lord's talking about. There has to be enough of the life of Jesus Christ in us that is noticed by men, that it brings a reproof And rebuke to their sin filled lives as they just continue to practice their sin. Amen. It's not that we're out to to seek to stir up trouble. You don't get up and say, How I'm a Christian, how can I go get in a fight with somebody that's lost and get, you know, show how I can suffer for the Lord. We don't do that. We just plain and simply live for God. But we live for God openly. We live for God privately and we live for God publicly. We're not two different people. When I'm in church, I act this way and live this way and say amen, brother. And when I'm with other people outside, I'm very quiet, and they would never know I'm a Christian. And I laugh at their dirty jokes, and I go along with all the things that they do. That's a hypocrite. That's an actor. That's not what we're called to do or to be. We're not looking to stir up trouble, but I can promise you... All those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It says in Philippians 1, it's given unto us on the behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his name's sake. It's given to us. That's part of it. And so, we, a couple of ways in which we, a couple of things that we don't do. And we've seen examples of this where somebody just in and of themselves claiming to know Christ, and maybe they do, is just judgmental in themselves. And they're a fault finder. And they go through finding faults with everybody around them. Nobody wants to be around somebody like that. And that's not what we're called to do, just to be a fault finder. We're not to judge men out of our own self, a sense of self-righteousness or a feeling of uh, superiority to others. Jesus said, judge not after the appearance, appearance, judge righteous judgment. So there's a Bible verse in the Gospels. By Jesus' own mouth, where he's telling us to judge, but he's telling us how to judge. Don't judge others after the appearance, just what it looks like. May not be what you think. Maybe you need to find out, okay? Don't judge after the appearance. Judge righteous judgment. He's telling human beings in his name, and the righteous judgment would have to be by the Holy Ghost, by the Word of God, in accordance to the right teachings of the Bible. Okay. How, when and where God would have us to do that. And so it's never from a self a sense of pride or self-righteousness or superior superiority that I think I have over those lost heathen out there. Never. Never. But there has to be enough of, of the Lord in us. We are called without question to be salt and light. Salt and light. Okay? And salt, you you've heard this before, salt. Uh, is used as a preservative. Christianity and the gospel could, could be that. Uh, it's used to, uh, to put in, uh, to give seasoning. Okay. It's also used when it's put into a wound to, to, to heal. It stings and it burns. But but you're glad you have it. Because in the end, it's going to help heal that infection or whatever it is. It stings. And in one sense, you could say that's what Christians are to be in this world. Jesus said, this is the condemnation. Right after he told Nicodemus that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son and so forth. And he talked about as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up. And then he says, uh, this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. What do men love? Not every man, but he's saying as a whole, men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, he says, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds be reproved. There's that word again, reproved, to tell a fault, to convince, to convict. A lot of people don't want to be told their faults and convinced or convicted of sin. But as salt and light, that is part of our ministry we're reconcilers of men to God. And light exposes what is dark, what's hidden in the dark. Light uh, makes manifest. Light uh, brings to clarity. Oh, I didn't know this was here. You know, I walk through here a lot of times through this sanctuary and it's dark. Maybe I'm coming in through my office and it's dark and the lights aren't on. I know my way around pretty well now. And so I don't stumble over things. But light makes manifest. The dark light exposes what's in the dark, and it is supposed to do that. I want to read this. Well, if you're still in Ephesians, I don't know, or maybe you're in Romans, turn back to Ephesians 5 and look at verse 13. Same chapter we began with, Ephesians 5. Look at verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. So if I'm just trying to live as a Christian in this comfortable, no confrontations, uh, no persecution, just very well liked and accepted by this lost world that put Jesus on a cross, but I'm a Christian and want to think that I'm a Christian, then I'm not at all going to be fulfilling my ministry as salt and light. Whatever makes manifest is light, okay? It is light. And our life, in this new life in Christ, it's his life in us, his word hidden in our hearts uh, is to serve through us as a testimony of Jesus Christ's power and who he is in his holiness. For as he is, so are we in this world. That's what the Bible says. So we, we ought not get confused and get our brand of christianity from some other person or from some book or some church or some movement in the church we ought to get our christianity from christ we ought to get our christianity from his word the lord in us is to be a rebuke to this world around us it is to bring a sharp rebuke to to sinful men that are around us and it is to point men to christ because we can also offer, and we must, his mercy and say, I used to be like that. I used to be worse than you are. Can I tell you what Jesus did for me? But they have to see a difference. You can't just invite them to church and tell them. There has to be a genuine difference in our lives that they knew us before, and now they know us now. Amen? It's, it's not only our lives, y'all, but it has to be our words. And this is where I think a lot of people miss it. You can miss it both ends, okay? You can say the words all the time and you need to repent and you need to get saved and Jesus died for your sins and you're a horrible sinner. And the the person saying that doesn't themselves really live in a Christ-like manner. So their words don't line up with their lives or their lifestyle. They tell everybody else they need to get saved and Quit drinking and you quit cussing and quit doing this. And then they end up doing a lot of the same things. And nobody's going to listen to that. But then you have somebody over here that says, all I'm going to do is love people. I'm just going to, to be kind and, and treat people the way I would want to be treated. And we must do that. But they never open their mouths and share the gospel. They never open their mouths and say, that's sin. That's wrong. I I disagree with the homosexual agenda that's going on. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's uh, acceptable lifestyle. We never say that either. There are times we have to open our mouths, y'all, and to say this is sin, this is wrong. God can forgive you of that. Jesus died for that. Jesus died for you. But there are times we have to open our mouths. Now, God has to lead us on how and when we do it. Amen. But our life is to be a rebuke to the sin around us our speech amen our speech the bible says is to be with grace and our speech is to be our conversation and speech is to be holy and our speech is to be seasoned with salt we have to have the salt in it the salt of god's word the salt of christ the salt of holiness that like he had when he spoke and and we're to be the same the same way and so uh I think about men in the Bible and women that we read. You know, you and I are called to be ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors for Christ. And we have to open our mouths at times. It's not popular. That's why I start out saying people want to hold to their brand of Christianity, the brand that doesn't offend people around them. But that's not what we're called to. There's not such a brand, not in the Bible anyway, of Christianity. On the day of Pentecost, Peter opened his mouth and he spoke. He opened his mouth and he spoke. And he preached the gospel. Stephen opened his mouth and said, You stiff neck and rebellious, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. He opened his mouth. That. His, his sermon had a profound effect on Saul, and we're, later became Paul. We have to open our mouths, and, and God gives us the boldness to do that by the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, when the early church was persecuted and threatened and beat, Peter and John specifically, they went back to the, their local fellowship and said, Now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. I guess if there's one thought this morning, y'all, it's this. We, we have to boldly live our faith, and that includes our words. We have to speak. I'm not, I'm not the, the moral police of the world. I'm not the... Uh, it's not my job to be the fault finder. I'd have to start with myself and end with myself. If I'm finding faults, I'd find plenty. But as God sprinkles us as salt, as believers in the midst of lost people... There are times, he says, I want you to open your mouth. Yes, you're kind. Everybody at work knows you're kind. You're, you're patient. You don't do things dishonest. And all that's wonderful, and we need to live it, okay? But he says, I want you to open your mouth and tell them that that drunkenness and that fornicating and the continuing in that and thinking that that's okay, you're going to be judged for it one day. In other words, there's times we have to open our mouths and say, this is not of God, but he's merciful and we lead, we're able to lead men to Christ. That's what it says. Have no unfruitful, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Okay, I do that. I'm, I'm, here's all the unfruitful works of darkness. It's all over there. I have no fellowship with that. I'm good. But that's not the end of the verse. It says, but rather reprove them means you'd have to tell them a fault. We better be bathed in prayer and filled with the Holy Ghost and filled with the love of God and a genuine concern for their souls when we say it. But we have to say it. There's times God would have us to say it and to speak up. Amen? I want to read this this from Proverbs. And we're not going to be too much longer. But Proverbs chapter 29, I'll read it. Dee and I have just been reading through the Proverbs and... And just finished that recently, but it says, "Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul." Okay, that's kind of a, doesn't really apply to me. Whoso is partner with a thief hateth his own soul. He heareth cursing and bereath it not. And I thought about that. Here's somebody that here's some a godly person, and they hear plans, thieves making their plans, how they're going to beat people up and rob them, and They're how they're going to make their plans. And this person, he's not a thief, but he says he's a partner with with a thief because he didn't berate it. And I looked up that word to berate. It means to stand boldly out in opposition, to announce. This is part of the definition, always by word of mouth. To present, to expose, to denounce to declare plainly, to report, to tell, to confront. And that's the part of Christianity a lot of Christians don't like. I don't want anything to do with that because it will automatically put me in the Christian camp. They'll put me as being judgmental. They'll put me as being pharisaical. And they and I won't be liked anymore. But he says, who's a partner with a thief hates his own soul because he hears what they're doing and they're cursing over here, and he does not oppose it by word of mouth and stand against it. Isn't that something that it's really what the Bible says? We have that responsibility. If we're not going to do it on this earth, who is? We're the salt. We're the light. There's nobody else that's salt and light. Jesus is the light of the world, but he lives in us. And he says, I'm the light of the world. And then he says, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. The reason he was despised and rejected and put on the cross is not because he healed people. It was because he preached the truth and lived the truth, and him being what they thought was just a man, made himself God, and they put him on the cross. We see this, though, all through the Bible, y'all. We are a city set on a hill. We can't just take all the popular parts of Christianity and say, that's the one I want. That's the Christianity I want. Anything that gets me unliked, disliked, unpopular, laughed at, ridiculed, I don't want anything to do with that. But Jesus was. And we're born of His Spirit. Amen? We're vessels of honor to the Lord. We're laborers and workers in His vineyard and in His field. We're reconcilers of men unto God. That's us. That's what He's called us to do and to be. I'll just real quickly mention these as we close. John the Baptist, with his mouth, did he live a different life, separated to God, unto God? Absolutely. He was everything he was supposed to be. But with his words, he rebuked sin and sinners. And he called the Pharisees, for example, a generation of vipers who has warned you to flee the wrath to come. We say, well, he, it's easy to rebuke those, those Pharisees. They were such hypocrites. Well, how about King Herod? Publicly, he says it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. He did that, too. He was beheaded for that. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, and he rebuked the, the sin that was around them. Peter rebuked false prophets. John, the apostle, rebuked... Uh, Gnostics in his day he rebuked by name Diotrephes and says he likes to have loves to have the preeminence among you is filled with pride Jeremiah rebuked publicly Isaiah Samuel and the prophets Jonah preached against Nineveh Paul rebuked the the hypocritical Jews that were around him he also rebuked the idolatry of the pagans around him in Ephesus and in uh, Athens and he rebuked Demas by name and says he's he's Turn from me. He removed Alexander the coppersmith. There's times we have to open our mouths and say, this is sin. This is wrong. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. We don't read any of his sermons in the Bible. But the Bible tells us, he uses that phrase, he was a preacher of righteousness. And he built the ark by faith and by it he condemned the world. The whole world was condemned by Noah and by it but he became the heir of righteousness which is by faith have no unfruitful have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but rather reprove them i want to close with one more verse turn with me in your if you would in your bibles to proverbs chapter 6 proverbs chapter 6 verse 23 For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. So how many, how many times have you heard, not very many, that the reproofs of instruction are the way of life? We have heard that if you reprove someone, that you call, if you call out sin, if you testify against their sin, that that's cruel that that's harsh, that that's unloving, that that's judgmental, that that's even unchristian. You'll hear that if you haven't, and you haven't read some of the books that I've read on on the emergent church and now the progressive church, which is just the emergent church to the next step. It's false. It's untrue. It's unbiblical. That a Christian would never rebuke someone. You know, either David or Solomon said, precious are the wounds of a friend, precious are the rebukes of a friend. They're better than the flattering of of some enemy to flatter me. I'd rather have a friend come up and chastise me and tell me the truth that will help me in the end. Amen. That's what we're being. When we talk about reproving the sin around us, it has to be enough of Christ in us through our lives and through our words that it brings a condemnation. That I don't specifically set out and say, I'm going to bring condemnation on their sin today. It's life, the life being lived out through us. And as He opens our mouths to speak, and they come under the conviction. They may not be saved, they may not repent, but they need to know. Amen? They need to know the truth. And I want to close, y'all, with Philippians chapter 2. We studied this on our Wednesday night study of Philippians. Chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life. We hold it forth. We proclaim it. We live it, and we proclaim it publicly, and we have to shine. If if we're not going to shine as lights for Christ in this world, then why are we still here? Why didn't he just take us on home? To be with Jesus. And I know this might not be the most popular feel good sermon. Last week I talked about the Lord leading us and being our shepherd and guiding us through life. And how he guides us and is with us every step of the way. The same Lord that gave that sermon gave me this one for us today. Amen. We have to have enough of the Lord in us that brings a conviction on people around us. If we just literally fit in everywhere we go, there's something wrong with my faith. There's something wrong. If I can fit in here and here and here and here and all these people are lost and these are mockers and these are scoffers and these are, and I just fit in fine with everybody and everybody loves me and pats me on the back everywhere I go, something's wrong. Because everybody didn't love Jesus and pat him on the back everywhere he went. Times they did. But they didn't in the long run, amen, in the end. We have to live for the Lord. We have to live with the, for the Lord in our lifestyle and in our speech and in our words, amen. Do you can come. Y'all stand with me this morning. You know, the Bible says that we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But if the salt has lost its savor, it's good for nothing. To me, it's with the, if the salt has lost what made it salt in the first place and what it's good for, Then Jesus says it's henceforth good for what? A few things? What does the Bible say? It's henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out. People don't even want it anymore. You know, this this salt lost its flavor. Maybe it got wet or whatever. I don't know. And his whole pound of salt. And it's not salty anymore. It's good for nothing. I'll fill that pothole out there in my yard with this salt. That's about all it's good for anymore. That's what Jesus said. It's henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. People just trample on you. If you're going to be a Christian that doesn't live for Christ publicly, then it doesn't mean we're not loved by God. It doesn't mean we're not a Christian. It means we're good for nothing on this earth as far as what he's called us to do. He's called us to be salt and light. And if I'm going to be salt and light, then I need to be it, and I need to take the heat that comes with it. I also get to take people to heaven with me that I got to lead to Jesus. Amen. You're going to get to bring your sheaves with you. And you got some battle scars to show it. I got beat up here. I got, I got fired from my job here. My, my brothers stopped talking to me because I gave my life to Jesus. My friends all left me because I gave my life to Jesus and started living for God. Here's my battle scars. But, Lord, here's five people that are coming with me. They got saved. Hallelujah. Because I spoke up and lived it. Amen. The altars are open. Y'all let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus name. Oh God, we want to live as salt and light, God. We we want it's not enough for us to not fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You tell us in your word, we are to rather reprove them, to testify against them. And Father, I pray that you would give us boldness. That's what the apostles prayed for. Lord, grant unto thy servants that with all boldness we may speak the word of God. And you shook the place, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they went right back out to the same people that persecuted them the day before, and they preached the same Jesus again. God, we need that boldness in this hour. We need that holiness. Not to, quote, be judgmental. We're not fault finders. It's easy to find faults. We never have to leave our house to find faults in men. But, Lord, that we would live for Christ in such a way that our life and our speech brings a reproof on those that don't know Jesus as they're boasting and living in their sin, God. Help us, Lord. Give us boldness, God. And give us your compassion for sinful men to care about their souls, God. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.